This content may not be suitable for all listeners. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. Meep. (laughs) Hi, Meep. Welcome back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Brittany. That makes me think of the American Horror Story. I don't know if you ever watched it, but his name was Meep, and they murdered him. Oh. He goes, all he could say was Meep. He goes, Meep, Meep. (laughs) That poor guy. No, I... I don't know. He ate chicken head, so... Oh. Well, I mean... It is what it is. (laughs) Survival of the fittest. No, I never actually watched American Horror Story, actually. I think I watched the first season and then a couple episodes of the third season. No. Whatever the one with the circus was. Freak show. Uh, That's the one with me. Okay, I only watched like one or two of like the very first episode, so I don't remember really anything about it. So That's fair. Today is going to be a very difficult case to talk about. I'm just saying that right up front because as I was researching, I was like, I knew it was going to be difficult to like hear about when I first went into it, but I didn't realize how difficult. I actually have only never heard of this before. Well, we got the suggestion, I believe, from somebody on Twitter. So somebody like we were asking for case suggestions and somebody asked if we were open to like international cases and we were like absolutely and so this one actually takes place in japan it was back in the 80s i don't know if people have heard about it it was apparently one of the like most gruesome crimes in japan there you have a relatively low crime rate over there compared to unless us, you especially. go to the su- well i guess the suicide forest wouldn't be a crime place but yeah. that is i heard okay i never been obviously but i heard it was actually really beautiful really yeah, and I'm guessing I'm too loud because you keep turning my phone. <laughs> Just a Do little bit. Okay, is that good? I think so, yeah, that's good. Is that good now? Yes, that's okay. okay. That's perfect. <laughs> Trial and error. We got a new mic. It's fine. <laughs> I got a new mic, and I don't have a stand, so I am doing my best because my old, my $30 mic decided to just... Nah. It- yeah, it it bit the ghost. Or, uh, what is it? What is it? What is the phrase? What bit, bit the dust? I don't know. I thought you were um, about to say bit the goat's butt, and I was like, yes, yeah, it, yeah, totally. Look, I can't. <laughs> you know, beggars can't be choosers. I got a, like an expensive mic for free from yes, true. Amanda and Bree, and they sent it to me, and Bree sent me all the stuff I need. So yes, so she's gonna get a new stand, and then we'll be almost professional. It'll be great, but. I mean, I guess it makes sense that the place would, other than the whole, like, suicide aspect of it, you would want it to be a scenic place, because it's the last thing you're seeing when you die, but... And I heard that it is, like, you can't hear anything in it. Like, it's, you try to scream and nobody will hear you, so... It's terrifying. Very creepy. Anyways, back to your case. (laughs) So, today's case, we are going to be talking about Junko Furuta. This happened back in the 80s, like I mentioned, and this case, I was not prepared for how brutal this case was going to be. So just major trigger warning up at the top in general, but especially for sexual assault, for abuse, obviously murder, but it's difficult. So I completely understand if you guys don't want to listen to it, because this this poor girl was tortured for 40 something days. Oh, my God. I, it, I mean, you've told me about it, but... Yeah, it was it it was not great. But we're going to go ahead and get started. 
So like I mentioned before, Japan, it has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. I guess they have the lowest percentage of cases of intentional homicides. So, I mean, and they also, if I remember right, they have like a 93% solve rate for homicides and things like that. So it's like, that's what's up, Japan. Yeah. So like for the most part, they've got their shit together. However, they also have organized crime. One of the more well-known ones being the Yakuza. They have lasted in some form for over the last 400 years. So kind of mob. It's essentially, yeah, the mob. Ooh. Yeah, they're they're very very vicious and they play a part in this story. So. Aww. Yeah, you'll get a, a small taste of what the yakuza is capable of. This case was actually considered one of the most infamous in Japanese history because of how heinous it was and that everyone who was involved was 18 or younger. Ah. And in Japan, the legal age like to be considered an adult is 20 years old. So technically everybody involved was a minor according to Japanese law. Okay, so we have our victim, Junko Furuto. She was born on January 18th, 1971 in Misato, Saitama Prefecture, which I guess the prefectures are kind of like counties. So she was living, like, I think it was just outside of Tokyo. She was the middle child. She had one older and one younger brother. She had a really good relationship with her family. She attended Yashio Minami High School. I just want to say your pronunciation is fabulous. Well, thank you. I'm sure that the Japanese people who are listening are like, oh god, oh god. But I also work on a lot of anime, so that helps. And I say work, not watch. I mean, technically I'm watching it as I'm working, but that's <laughs> that's the freelance work that I do. It's a lot of it was with anime. So she was a senior, I believe. Like she was in her last year of high school when this happened. Oh, dude, didn't even get to graduate. That's so sad. Yeah. She was described as what is called straight edge basically she didn't drink she didn't smoke you know she was just a very like good kid i guess in that sense where she just didn't act out yeah she was a straight a student she was very dedicated she was described as cheerful and beautiful and she was well loved by her classmates she had a part-time job at a plastics molding factory oh okay don't know what that means necessarily it means like she molds plastic well yeah but like what like is she making tupperware you know like i don't know probably <laughs> and she was saving up money for a graduation trip Aww. with that part-time job and she had already basically acquired a job for after she graduated at an electronics retailer that she was planning on taking she was 17 years old at the time that this happened and then we have our merry band of garbage men so well i can't even say garbage men they're garbage boys like but i mean they should be uh, anyway we've got hiroshi miyano he was basically the mastermind behind the entire plan of everything that i'm going to talk about he had known ties to the yakuza he was a low-ranking member which is called a chinpira i don't know if i pronounced that right but basically because he was so young he was considered a low-ranking member i believe if i remember right his friends who were involved in this also had ties to the yakuza but i could be wrong about that so we've got nobuharu minata and you said i'm sorry you said the yakuza are still around today yeah okay they're, they're still around today he was i saw 15 and 16 so i'm just gonna say he was in that range he was probably um, like on the borderline probably and then we've got Yuzura Ogura, who is also called Joe. I don't know which one of those is correct. You'll hear me say multiple names for a couple of these guys because they ended up changing their names later on in their life. Fuck them. 
Yeah. Joe was 17 years old. And then you've got Yasushi Watanabe, who was also 17. Basically, Hiroshi and his merry band of garbage men, they had previously engaged in crimes including purse snatching, extortion, and rape. And he was only 18 at the time this happened. So Hiroshi was the oldest of these four. I guess some context for what ended up happening. Hiroshi had a crush on Junko, and so he had asked her out, and she politely declined. And he got angry about this because he wasn't used to being told no. Oh, God. Yeah. He decided he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so a few days after Junko rejected him, I believe the date was November 25th, 1988, Hiroshi and Nobuharu were hanging out in a park. Basically, they were there looking for women to prey on, you know, just disgusting teenage things, I guess. I Um, guess. So around 8.30 p.m., they saw Junko riding her bike home from work, like through the park. Mm -hmm. So basically, Hiroshi told Nobuharu to kick Junko off her bike and then run away so that Hiroshi could, like, pretend he witnessed it and happened to be in the area coincidentally. And then he offered to walk her home safely. And Junko, being none the wiser, she accepted, but she would never make it home. Oh, see, and if he had, like, took her home, she probably would have been like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. But I believe one of the reasons why she rejected him was because of the known Yakuza ties. I couldn't find too much information about that. But, I mean, I also saw a lot that he was also, like, the school bully and she was, like, very popular. So, I mean, there's also that dynamic as well. But, I mean, I wouldn't want to be with somebody who is as much of an asshole as this guy either. Mm-hmm. So Hiroshi, instead of taking Junko home, took her to an abandoned warehouse where he dragged her inside, revealed his Yakuza ties, and threatened to kill her if she made a sound. And then he proceeded to rape her in the warehouse and then again in a nearby hotel where he took her. Mm. When he was at the hotel, Hiroshi called his friends to brag about what he'd done. And Joe actually told Hiroshi that he should hold on to her so that more people could have fun with her oh my god yeah according to court records these boys had a history of gang rape and i say that because i guess it was in like the court transcripts of this case i couldn't read them because they were in japanese but that's what people who have read them said so around 3 a.m hiroshi took junko to a nearby park where he met the other three they revealed that they knew her home address from one of the notebooks that they had looked at and that the Yakuza would kill her family if she attempted to escape. So the boys then took her to a house that was owned by Nobuharu's parents, which would become their main hideout and where they proceeded to gang rape her. Like I said, this case is very tough, and this is just the very beginning of it. So this next part really, really pisses me off, but like it just gets worse from here. So on November 27th, which is two days after Junko went missing, her parents called the police and filed a missing persons report. Why did it take them two days? I mean, it's probably one of those things where they have laws where somebody's not considered missing unless it's been 48 hours. I don't know if that's the case in Japan. That would be my guess because it seems like everywhere that we've talked about so far, it's always been like it has to be a minimum of 48 hours. You know, when the boys found out that a missing persons report had been filed, They forced Junko to call her family and tell them that she had run away of her own volition, that she was safe and staying with friends, and asked them to stop the investigation. And because of that, the police and her parents stopped looking for her. Oh my god! Yeah. It's like, I don't know about you, but if my child, who was like a straight-A student, never really displayed any sort of behaviors that would indicate she would run away, ran away, I would be more concerned. Like, I wouldn't 
be like, oh, well, she's fine. I'm not going to bother. Like, oh, yeah. She's partying. That's what the police always say. Yeah. So at one point throughout this process, I saw this in a couple places. I don't know 100% if this is true or not, but apparently one of the other guys who I didn't mention before, because you'll see there were a lot of people who ended up being involved in all of this. His name is Koichi Ihara. He apparently felt guilty for being a part of this. I guess not guilty enough to stop doing it, but he allegedly told his parents what he like what was happening and they reported it to the police like where she was being held and they didn't do a thorough investigation though because the minatos who is nobuharu's parents like like i said they were at that house they knew what was going on there but they were apparently too afraid of the yakuza like coming to hurt them that they was he actually like a part of the yakuza or was he just telling everybody he was hiroshi was i don't know about the other ones but they were just afraid of the backlash basically from like they were afraid for their lives which i understand but at the same time they allowed this to happen but i say that all because the police didn't do a thorough investigation because the Minatos pretended like nothing was wrong and they even like invited them inside. They're like, yeah, if you want, you can come inside. And then the police, they were like, well, if they're inviting us inside, there must be nothing happening. And they left. So oh. that happened about halfway through her capture. So about 20 days into this. Initially, Nobuharu had pretended that Junko was his girlfriend whenever his parents were around, but he eventually dropped that act when he realized that his parents weren't going to tell the police anything about what was going on. I saw this in one place. I don't know if this is actually true or not, but apparently at one point Junko had begged the family to help her escape, which is how they found out that she wasn't his girlfriend. I don't know if that's actually true or not, or if that was an embellishment that somebody else put in there. And like I said, they were too afraid of their son's violent tendencies and his Yakuza ties to do anything to help. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if you ever take an introductory to psychology class, you will hear about the bystander effect. Essentially, the bystander effect is also called bystander apathy. It's a social psychological theory that states that an individual's likelihood of helping decreases when passive bystanders are present in an emergency situation. So usually it just means that like, if somebody sees that there are other people around, they're like, oh, I don't need to do anything. There are other people here. Somebody else will do it. Yeah. But then everybody is thinking that same thing, and then nobody, nobody does Nobody calls the police. Yeah. yeah so... It felt a little bit like that. Like I said, if you've ever taken an intro to psychology class, they talked about the case of Kitty Genovese, who was murdered in Queens, New York in 1964. Like there were apparently a whole bunch of neighbors because I guess it was like in the I want to say it was like in an alleyway, if I remember right. It was um, so it was in the courtyard of the apartment building. And so the, the apartment buildings circled around the courtyard. I know what case you're talking about. Yeah. And so there were just so many neighbors who heard what was going on, but nobody did anything until it was too late. Yeah. Um, and so they actually did it. Um, I mean, obviously, they didn't do it like about the actual case, but they took inspiration from that case on Law and Order SVU. Yeah, I I think I remember that episode. But yeah, it's it's similar in this aspect. Like I understand why they were afraid of their son. Why but at dude, the same it's your son. At the same time, it's just like you allowed this to happen for f- over like for over a month. It was about like a month and a half, a little bit more than that. So 
the boys kept her, I saw 40 days and I saw 44 days. So it was somewhere in there. So it was varying reports, but overall it was somewhere in that 40 to 44 days range. Like I mentioned before, there were other members of the Yakuza who ended up coming and doing whatever they wanted to Junko at the same. Oh my God. Yeah, it was bad. Over the course of 40 days, I'm not going to say everything that they did, but I'm just going to read a couple of the milder ones, quote unquote, because it, it was a lot. They shaved her pubic hair, forced her to dance to music while naked and masturbate in front of them. They inserted objects into her, including a lit match. (gasps) Oh my God. A metal rod, a bottle, and they force fed her with large amounts of alcohol, milk, and water. And then she was also forced to smoke multiple cigarettes at once and inhale paint thinner. Oh my, and they did worse stuff than that? Yes. Yes, they did. Okay, Um, like, yeah. what? I need to know, like, you gotta tell me. I mean, obviously they gang raped her as well, but we're we're gonna go into it because there's there's more stuff that they did. So at one point, Junko managed to call the police, but she was discovered by the boys before she was able to say anything and they forced her to hang up. But because of that, they tied her legs, doused them in lighter fluid and lit them on fire. Oh my God. Keep in mind, all of these boys are under the, like 18 and younger. Like keep that in mind. When they weren't torturing her, she was forced to sleep outside in freezing December temperatures with like little to no clothing i think they because some people said that she was naked others said that she was just like in her underwear or something like that either way she was outside in december in japan would they like would they tie her up like she couldn't run away i don't i guess i i didn't specifically say but i would imagine that like once you've been beaten and burned so badly like your legs you're not able to really necessarily jump without hurting yourself further yeah So by the end of December, she was malnourished because she was only fed small amounts of food and then eventually they only gave her milk. Because she was malnourished, she was so weak she could hardly move and she couldn't go downstairs to use the bathroom. Like, I think I saw that it took like 60 minutes for her to like drag herself to the bathroom at some point. Her face was severely swollen to the point where it was hard to recognize her and she was so crippled by what they'd done, she started to give off a rotting smell, which is called an anaerobic infection. I didn't actually look up what that was, but I'm I assuming- I got it, hold on, yeah. There's like bacteria on your skin and I guess if you're immobilized, it kind of like takes effect and it gives okay. off that rotting anaerobic- smell. Infections are common infections caused by anaerobic bacteria. These bacteria occur naturally and are the most common flora in the body. In their natural state, they don't cause infection, but they can cause infection after an injury or trauma to the body. But also because of that, because she was starting to give off that smell, the boys lost sexual interest in her. And they ended up kidnapping a 19-year-old girl to gang rape instead because... Oh my god. Yeah, they were just not interested in her anymore. It's estimated that over a hundred people had been in there in that inner time of captivity. I feel like that's exaggerated because I can't justify in my head that uh, there are a hundred people who would willingly rape and torture somebody and nobody would say anything. <sighs> All right. Well, this next part, it's going to be, it's, it's the finale, I guess, so to speak of what happened with Junko. we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. So, 
On January 4th, Hiroshi Miyano lost a lot of money in a game of Mahjong, and he decided to take his anger out on Junko. <sighs> the group viciously beat her, basically to death, but what they did, they kicked and punched her, they ignited mm. a candle and dripped hot wax on her face, <sighs> placed two short candles on her eyelids, Ow! they forced her to drink her own urine. Oh my god. After kicking her, she fell onto a stereo unit and collapsed into a fit of convulsions. And I guess because they thought that she like she was faking the seizures to get them to stop, they kept going essentially. But she was bleeding so profusely and like the the pus was emerging from her infected burns. The boys ended up covering their hands in plastic bags so that her pus wouldn't get on their hands and they kept beating her. They dropped an iron exercise ball onto her stomach several times. Oh! Yeah. They poured more lighter fluid onto her thighs, arms, face, and stomach and set her on fire again. And the attack lasted about two hours. Oh my god. She allegedly tried to put out the fire, but eventually, I guess she started going into shock because she gradually became unresponsive. And then she eventually succumbed to the wounds and died. Less than 24 hours after they murdered her, Nobuharu's brother called to tell them that Junko appeared to be dead because I guess they didn't know that she had died. Like, they must have gone off after they'd finished beating her and lighting her on fire. So, apparently the boys were afraid of being charged with murder. Obviously! They wrapped her body in blankets, put her in a travel bag, and then dumped her into a 55-gallon drum that they filled with concrete and they left in the Koto ward in Tokyo. Stop. I just looked up a picture of her. She's so cute. She is really cute. And like just imagining that anybody would want to do this to anybody at all, but it's just because she said no. Imagine if she said yeah, he probably would have done this while they were together. Yeah. Like that that boggles my mind. Like I know that there there're obviously stories of men doing the most after they're rejected. But, like, this this pained me a lot because... This is... and Okay, side note, but this happens all the time to women. Yeah. Men... Like, this is why women are so scared to, to say no to men. Yeah. They are beat. I saw this one story where this girl said no to this guy in the club and he shot her. Yeah. In the face three times. Yeah, and I think I saw... There was something similar that happened at, like, a high school where I guess a guy asked her to prom and she said no because she already had a date. And then, like, he came and... I, it might have been with a knife, but I'm pretty sure he, like, stabbed her. And then I watched this one video on TikTok. They were outside eating and this guy asked told the girl like she was cute and then she was like no i have a boyfriend yeah. and he went to his car and grabbed a pistol and was gonna shoot her and she ran away i know that there's that phrase out there it's not all men and it's like no but it's enough of them <laughs> like this happens more than it should basically allegedly they had planned to kill her at some point anyway by burning her in an oil drum filling it with concrete and throwing it into the sea but I, I guess because like she had died unexpectedly, but I guess they had a, planned on killing her at some point. They just didn't get around to it. What about this girl, this 19 year old girl? Didn't they kidnap yes. a 19 year old? They did. And that's where's she at? Oh, uh, well, we're, we're about to find, I'm pretty sure they released her at some point, but we're going to talk about her just a little bit more. On January 23rd, 1989, so almost three weeks after Junko's murder, Hiroshi and Joe were arrested for the gang rape of that 19-year-old that they kidnapped. I didn't find any information about the 19-year-old, but it was the fact that they got arrested for that. This next part was actually... I felt a little vindicated because it's like, this is just a reminder that they're 
stupid. Like, they're awful people, but they're also stupid. <clears throat> so on March 29th, two officers actually came to interrogate them, because I guess during the investigation for this rape that they did with the 19-year-old, they found women's underwear in their, like, at their addresses, like, in their rooms or whatever. So they were coming to in- interrogate them about that. And then I guess they also kind of fibbed like police are known to do to get them to talk. And so Hiroshi believed that Joe had already told them about Junko, and then he ended up telling the police where to find her body. The police weren't investigating that at all. They didn't even know about it. They had been there investigating the murder of a woman and her son that had happened nine days before Junko's kidnapping, which they had no part in, but it's the fact that... I'm so sorry. I'm listening to you, but I needed to look something up. They they had her hands and nails smashed by weights. Yeah, like I said, I didn't include everything. It was it was a lot. And then I think I saw they also twisted off one of her nipples with a pl- oh with, my with, God. with a pair of pliers. Like it was holy fucking shit. There was a lot of stuff they did. I did not include everything. I I included what was considered mild. Like it was bad. They tortured her for 40 days. So the day after Hiroshi told them where the body was, the police found the drum containing Junko's body. But because she was so disfigured and she was just visibly unrecognizable, they had to identify her using fingerprints. On April 1st, Joe was arrested for another sexual assault and also for Junko's murder. Yasushi Nobuharu and Nobuharu's brother were arrested soon after, and they also identified and arrested several other accomplices, including Tetsuo Nakamura and the one I mentioned earlier, Koichi Ihara, after finding their DNA on and inside of Junko's body. So, like I said earlier, like he felt guilty, but apparently not guilty enough to stop doing it because the fact that they were still able to find DNA, like that had to be recent, right? I'm surprised that the the burning didn't burn the DNA off, well, to be honest. Exactly. Like that's. But- so did they fill the drum up with um, concrete or that's what they were planning on doing? No, they did fill the drum up with concrete. And the case is in Japan is actually called, let me see if I can find it. Her murder is referred to as the concrete encased high school girl murder case. That is really long. You should just call it yeah. men are trash. Yeah. <laughs> men are garbage um, except chris he's a beautiful soul i love him. <laughs> well good i'm glad and then coroners also found oronamen sea bottles inside of her and she was also allegedly pregnant like at the time i mean i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be either but i don't know how accurate that is but just yeah so take that with a grain of salt but i did see that she was allegedly pregnant at that time like <sighs> anyway, um so what's that ornament I don't actually know. I'm about to Google it's this. Probably, it's probably a drink. That would be my guess. Please hold. Ornament. Let's see. It's, oh, it's like a little tiny bottle like this. Oh, jeez. Um, and it looks like um, it's glass. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it is orange. Oh, it's a multivitamin C and B Megadong Madu. <laughs> okay. That's good. That is what it says. Good to know. So for the prosecution, the four were going to be treated as juveniles in the eyes of the court because of their age. Uh, 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 Hold on. uh. Hold on. 
because of that initially their names were kept sealed but the media found out what those names were and they published them believing that the heinous nature of the crime didn't afford them the luxury of anonymity period news period (laughs) one of the few times i'm glad that the news got their hands on that information period but That was really like the only good thing that came out of all of this. So basically, rather than plead guilty to murder, all of them pled guilty to, quote, committing bodily injury that resulted in death. Are you fucking kidding me? No. No, they should have been held for terrorism. Yeah. So in July of 1990, Hiroshi was sentenced to 17 years in prison. So this was satisfying. He attempted to appeal his sentence, and the higher court actually added three years to his sentence. Period, higher court. (laughs) I see you. (laughs) So 20 years is apparently the max sentence that you can give somebody outside of life imprisonment. He was denied parole in 2004, but he was released in 2009 at the age of 38, and he changed his surname to Yokoyama. I'm sorry, but... They do. Did they think because he was 17, like he's not going to do it? He is definitely going to do this again. This is going to be something that he does again and again and again and again and again until he gets caught. Yeah. And we'll see that similar behavior from the others. Not not all of them. One of them has never actually been involved with the law since then. But three of the four have been involved. I hope that 19 year old girl is doing great. I hope she is rich. Yeah. He apparently returned to the Yakuza and lives a lavish lifestyle and brags about being involved with organized crime. However, well, number one of organized crime, you don't <laughs> brag about it. Yeah, but however, he tries to hide his involvement in the Junko case, I guess. Why? That was a big case, my dude. Why don't yeah. you take ownership? Yeah. yeah. And then allegedly, he was rearrested for fraud in 2013, but was let go due to insufficient evidence, and there hasn't really been any word on him since then. You know why he denies it? It's because he has a tiny dick. <laughs> That's why he got so mad. He has tiny, tiny little penis. I believe it. So then Nobuharu Minato, keep in mind, he is the one, like, his parents' house this, that all this was at. He was originally sentenced to four to six year sentence. He also tried to appeal, and that same judge of the higher court changed it to a five to nine year sentence instead. Period. I love this judge. Yeah. Try to give him more, but. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And then Nobuharu's parents and his brother were not charged despite their knowledge of what was happening. Are you fucking shitting me? No. I'm sorry. I'm cussing out what in this, but Jesus. Yeah. He was released sometime between 1994 and 1998. And was allegedly unemployed and living with his parents since his release. He changed his name at some point to Shinji Minato, which is the name that you'll see usually if you Google the case. You'll see Shinji instead of Nobuharu, but he changed his name. So I just want to let you know, 1994 was the year Chris was born and 98 was the year I was born. So, I mean, tell you that with what you will. And I'm glad he's unemployed and I'm glad he's living with his parents because only people who work freelance I saw live with their parents are cool. But <laughs> That feels like a very pointed compliment, Brittany. <laughs> but this man is a loser. Yeah. One thing that was really annoying, I'll kind of, I'll come back to this, but um, apparently his family blamed Junko for his imprisonment and not his own choices. I'll go more into that in a little in a little bit. He was rearrested in 2018 for attempted murder after beating up a man with a metal rod and slashing his throat with a knife. So 
Apparently, when he was like in court for that, he said, I certainly stabbed and beat him, but I did not intend to kill him. Oh, okay. Like, that makes it any better. Yeah. And then he seems to have blamed the prison system for his reoffending rather than taking responsibility for his own actions. Like, there are some okay, interviews that he gave. That. I can see that if it was like a nonviolent offender, you know, someone yeah. who's been locked up for like car theft or. I don't know, drugs. Okay, yeah. I see that. You've been living your life in prison. I see you. Sir. Yeah, I but it's like for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like you were a violent offender. You shouldn't have been let out of jail in the first place. You weren't even in jail long enough to have it affect you, sir. So anyway, then you've got Joe Ogura, who served eight years in juvenile prison before being released in 1999. He changed his name at some point to Joe Kamisaku which I guess is the last name of somebody who was like a supporter throughout the whole time. So I don't, anyway, he initially got a job at an IT firm, but he was fired after they found out about his past. Rightly so. Yeah, as they should. I see you, IT firm. Realizing he wouldn't be able to escape his past, he joined a gang instead. Because that's so much better. So he, unlike Hiroshi, apparently boasts about his role in the Junko case. So like he's proud of what he did which makes it even worse. 2004, he was arrested and sentenced to seven years in prison for assaulting a man that he believed his girlfriend might have been cheating on him with. He, I guess, beat the guy for about four hours. And during this, he allegedly threatened to kill the man, claiming he'd murdered before and he had gotten away with it. Sorry, you went to prison. You didn't get away with shit. Yeah. And the only reason I say allegedly is because he denies it, but I 100% do not believe that he didn't say that i'm sorry okay sorry but do you know how long it is to beat somebody for four hours i mean they beat junko for two hours but do you know how long it is like usually beatings are like five minutes max and that's a long for beating but four hours yeah it's like one of the worst things about this is realizing that these people did not get the sentences that they they deserved like these people should have been put in prison for the rest of their lives because of the severity of their crime against Junko did not matter what their age was. It does not matter. They were old enough to know better. They were old enough to know right from wrong. And they, they still made did it. a very adult decision when they kidnapped and raped her. Yeah. They make des- adult decisions. They should have been trialed as an adult, but I still can get over the fact they beat him for four hours. Do you like, usually when you beat somebody, I mean, not always, it's not always the case, but usually when like somebody gets beat, their anger is like over with like yeah. after the beating four hours, that's yeah. a, a long time. Yeah. Like, I would not be surprised if Joe was, like, a legitimate sociopath. Like, it doesn't seem like he feels any remorse, any emotions for, like, I mean, obviously he feels anger, but, like, he doesn't seem to. It's it's about the slight against him. Like, it's not about anything else. Like, <laughs> anyway. And so then his mother also allegedly vandalized Junko's grave at some point because she said that she like junko had ruined her son's life so again yeah again you have a parent who is not acknowledging that their son made these decisions literally killed the 17 year old girl they killed her they tortured her for 40 plus days their life should be ruined i hope i hope every time this woman who vandalizes junko's grave has chapped lips her chapstick's out and she can't moisturize her lips and so they crack and 
they're musty and dusty and nobody wants to kiss her anymore. That's what I hope. <laughs> That's a very uh, specific insult. I appreciate it. And then allegedly Joe also depleted his father's savings to buy luxury goods and all that, even though that money was meant to pay restitution to Jungo's family. So like I said, he feels absolutely no remorse for what he did. That guy is like, out of all of them, he is the biggest piece of garbage. Like they're all terrible, but that one especially. I don't know. That's an insult to garbage. <laughs> it's true. At least, at least most garbage can be turned into compost and it can be reused for something good, but... Should just do away with them. <laughs> um, and then you have Yasushi Watanabe, who is originally sentenced to three to four years, but he received an upgraded sentence of five to seven. By the I, same judge? I don't know. It didn't say that if he had appealed his... It, it didn't say. It just said that he got an upgraded sentence. So I don't know if it was the same judge. If it was, good for him. I mean, it's still not enough time for what they all did, but... Maybe that's all he could, like, give. Maybe. He was released in 1996. Like I said, he was the only one of the four who's avoided legal trouble since then. So it seems like he actually came around to understand that... He's still he, trash. Yeah, he's still trash. But apparently there was an interview with him released in 2001 that seems to have shown that he showed regret for what he did. So he's still awful for what he did, mm -hmm. but at least he acknowledges his part in what he did. Whereas the other ones, like, they don't seem to feel any sort of remorse whatsoever for what they did. Like, they tortured this woman, they raped her, they took her life, and they don't give a shit. One of them even brags about it. Like, hmm. Anyway. Obviously, everyone believed that these sentences were too light for what happened, of course, because they How were. How did Japan not get canceled for this? I mean, <laughs> I know we can't cancel a whole country, but, like, yeah. What? I mean... It, it was ridiculous. It's just that, not Japan, I'm sorry. We shouldn't cancel Japan. We should cancel their legal system. I mean, we yes. should cancel America's legal system, but... Valid. <laughs> <laughs> and Japan, Jesus. Yeah. Junko's parents filed and won a civil lawsuit against the parents of all the boys, as they should. So Hiroshi's mother was ordered to pay 50 million yen, which was equivalent to $425,000. I don't know That's if that was... nothing. Well, I don't know if that was the conversion rate in the 90s or if that was like a recent one because the article was recent, but I don't know. But basically, because they were ordered to pay all that money, um, it said that they were forced to sell their home to pay it. But what I, I did I see in one place, though, that it may have also been Nobuharu's parents that that happened to, which was is understandable because they're the ones who housed them while they did all this terrible stuff. But either way, apparently none of that money actually went to the Ferudas, but instead it went to the boys when they were released. Well, now it would be equal to 50 million yen would be equal to $455,000 and 538. Oh, I'm sorry. $455,538.28. Cent. So it didn't really go up that much. Yeah, that's still not a whole lot. Like That's nothing. Yeah. After Junko's body was found, the cops who had gone to the Minato house were both fired. So, like, Good. the ones who went there and then were like, oh, well, they're inviting us in, so nothing bad is clearly happening here. I forgot about them, but they're trash, too. Mm. Yeah, so they both got fired. I believe the, like, chief of police resigned, if I remember correctly, because I, I didn't write it down, but I think he, that day that th that all happened, he was, like, off gambling or something like that, and so he wasn't even involved in, <laughs> like, the arrests and all that. The tea is... Yeah. 
piping hot, sir. Yeah. As you should resign, Captain Holt. Where are you be? <laughs> yeah, we we need a Captain Raymond Holt up in this business. He'll he'll renovate, not renovate. <laughs> what am I? What is the word I'm trying to think? He'll re reinvigorate. Rejuvenate. Yeah, I don't know. Rejuvenate. Yes, he'll rejuvenate. rejuvenate. One of one of those rewords. So Junko's funeral was on April second, nineteen eighty nine. One of her classmates read a very like tearful tribute at the funeral. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's one line that was towards the end that really like got me. She said, Jun-chan, for those who don't know, Chan, like when you add Chan or San at the end, those are like kind of terms of endearment. Aww. You use Chan for like, that one's definitely more of like a term of endearment, kind of like a... Like babe or kind of it, it's it's one that you would like use with somebody who's younger than you san is more of like a respectful yeah type one anyway Dear. so that's yeah so jun chan there's no more pain no more suffering please rest in peace that one hurt me that's so sweet you can probably find video of the funeral somewhere on youtube because they used a clip of it in one of the videos i have linked in the sources that i watched to learn more about this case they have the whole reading of that tribute um so it i mean it's in japanese so you can't understand it but they have the words on the screen so it was just really sad like there's a lot of crying understandably but it it, it put into perspective like you remember these are teenagers like these are children essentially because like there's a whole bunch of uh, girls there who are her age they're there in like their school uniforms and like it just kind of solidified the fact that it was like these were these were babies, you know. So at what would have been her graduation, she did receive a posthumous diploma. So she technically graduated. Good. So where her body was discovered has now been developed and turned into what is Wakasu Park. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. Sorry for butchering that. So this case was actually the inspiration for several forms of media. The ones that I could find were it was called an exploitation film made in 1995, but I'm not even going to attempt to say this title because I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> what does that mean? What does an exploitation film mean? So it's a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting current trends, niche genres, or lurid content. So essentially it's just like they were trying to leech off the, because this, like I said, is 1995. So this only happened a couple of years after the um, boys like were found guilty of not murder. So they were just kind of like riding the popularity of that by making a movie of it. Mm -hmm. And then there was a movie made in 2004 called concrete that apparently this was based around. Um, and then there's a manga, which is in layman's terms and it's a very like boiled down explanation. It's basically a Japanese comic book. So the manga 17 Sai was apparently also based oh, around it. I've been pronouncing it manga my whole life. <laughs> well, I used to, and I mean, technically it's fine, but yeah, it's, it's manga. <laughs> You'll have people who are like really, really uptight about the way that you say it. I don't care either way. It, it doesn't impact my life at all. <laughs> so like I said, in Japan, her murder is referred to as the concrete encased high school girl murder case. That is still the longest. Yeah, if, if I could pronounce the Japanese, I would, but I cannot. So it is believed to be the worst case of what they consider juvenile delinquency in post-war Japan. I would say so. Yes. 
I would agree. Since then, uh, the law in Japan has only gotten a little bit more strict when it comes to working like with minors. So I saw that there's a law that's in the works right now. I don't know if it's been passed or anything where the age would be lowered from 20 to 18 for like whether somebody is considered an adult or a minor. I think it should be whatever age they can drink at legally. And then they've got the dropping of confidentiality, like not withholding that information from the media and reporting the names and all that of anybody who is a minor, which if they do, if they do oh, like a bad enough crime, I'd understand that. I was that. about to say, it's a, I think that should be case by case. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't, like somebody who, I don't know, steals a car is some, yeah. something completely different from somebody who tortures a girl for 40 days. Yeah, exactly. So that one I'm a little iffy on. Um, Another part of it was that the number of crimes that could be transferred from family court, which is like the juvenile area, to the prosecutor's office would be expanded. I don't know what the criteria for that would be. It bothers me that I guess this is one area where the American justice system gets it right, is that if somebody who is close enough to 18 i'm sorry if you can hear daisy she's going crazy up there um she um like i guess if somebody who is like close enough to 18 can be trialed for an adult but that's dependent on the crime and that i feel like that's the thing with law law is not black and white law is there's so many gray areas so you can't say you can't loop a whole bunch of people into one category when that's not I don't know. It's kind of like the death penalty to me. You can't like, yeah, it's case by case basis, but Mm -hmm. we need to, you know. Yeah. And I think especially with something like this, where they literally, they kidnapped, they raped, they tortured, like they, they ended up murdering her. Like it might not have been like first degree murder in our sense, but it was at least second degree. (laughs) Oh, it was first degree. That shit was premeditated. Well, and that's the thing is that I feel like, it would have been considered first degree, but they would have an easier time actually like proving second second degree because it'd be like, like, yes, they had planned to murder her at some point. But like I mentioned, that plan was like different. The way that they murdered her was like a heat of the moment thing. So that's why I think it'd be easier for them to end up like. Anything they could get either way. Yeah. But I say first degree because the, the sentence would be longer. I mean, that's true. But even with second degree, I think you could still do because that's one thing about the American justice system is there is some discretion that judges have where they can determine like there are guidelines, like there are sentencing guidelines, but usually there is like a mandatory minimum sentence. I think the minimum with second degree is 15 to 20 and first degree is 25 to life. Mm hmm. And so there are sentencing guidelines, but I think there is some discretion. So depending on the judge and the age and the mm. person and the crime, I think, like I said, it's just so, there's so much that goes into, now not always. Yeah. I mean, like a pedophile, for example, someone who's raped and tortured Mm -hmm. kids for 30 years, that's going to be different than a husband who walks in on his wife sleeping with somebody you know what i'm saying there's just so like you can't compare the two Mm -hmm. so you can't compare them in the sense of sentencing that's my point is Mm -hmm. if you can't compare the two crimes yeah why can they be compared through sentencing yeah and 
there are some areas where I think sentencing needs to be reformed, but I do, I, I think when it comes to like murder, especially, I think but, we get it right with murder. Yeah. I think with that, it's like, that's fine. It's like with drug crimes, for example, how there's how do just, you get more jail time for drug crimes than you do for, uh, it crimes. I know. Right. Like how but, can you hack somebody's, personal information and ruin their life and get five years versus a drug crime you can get 15 years for yeah like it does not make sense to me so like there are certain areas where obviously our system needs to be overhauled but at least in this area if this had happened in the united states they would have all been put in prison for the rest of their they lives put under the prison and even if they didn't get put under the prison the inmates would have yeah. done what they do best yeah and that's the thing like especially with pedophiles too like once they're behind bars, the inmates, like, they're, even people who have committed murder themselves, they, like, there's a hierarchy of, like. And pedophiles are at the very bottom. bottom. They are hated by literally everyone. So, I mean, I imagine that they probably would have been around that tier of Mm -hmm. popularity in prison. Mm -hmm. But yeah, their sentences were not harsh enough, not at all, for what they did. I hope that Junko's family was able to not move on, but just like, I hope that they weren't harassed too much because from what it sounded like the boy's parents did not blame their own kids for what happened. They blamed Junko for the consequences of their actions. So sad. Yeah. It's like, you're going to blame the girl that they raped, tortured and murdered for them, like for them being in prison. Like, the reason that they're in prison is because they chose to do this. Like, And let's not forget, all she did was politely turn somebody down. Yeah. Like, this all happened because Hiroshi has can't an- handle rejection. Yeah, he can't handle rejection. That's, that's what this happened. Like, that's all. That's all she did. Like, most murder is pointless, but especially, especially rejection this one. Murder. Yeah, especially this one. Like, it's- <sighs> I have a lot of feelings about it, but... I don't like this case at all. I don't like any of the cases, but I don't like this one at all. (laughs) I don't blame you. At least most cases have good outcomes. This one was not even giving me closure. Yep, miscarriage of justice, but because it's a different country, I'm not 100% fluent in what their laws are. But, like I said, there is something that's in the works, at least... I think there was like at the beginning of this year about changing some of those laws. The fact that it's 2021 and this is only now happening when all of this happened at the like in, in the, the 80s. It happened oh, in the, the 80s. End, yeah, it happened at the very end of the 80s. They only like were in prison during the 90s. Like the fact that that happened and they still didn't change anything for 30 years like that. That sucks. <laughs> like that's a whole generation. Yeah. Like how old I am that's how old this case is essentially like I, I mean it's born. it's it's a, it's a couple years older than I am because that happened in in 89 and I was born in 91 so it's two years older than I am like that's <laughs> that's how old this case is and they're only just now doing something about that and it's not even I don't even think it's enough like it's actually I, I feel like it's kind of sucks yeah like it's not even good you know what yeah. i'm saying like it's good but it's i don't want to release minors information if the crime's not yeah terrible you know what i'm saying most crime is terrible but if they steal a car i don't care 
if they murder and torture and rape a girl for 40 days, I, I care. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know if they have this rule in place, like the anonymity thing, to protect the people who committed the crime or to protect their families from retribution. But, I mean... The same fa- the same time well, like these these this these families they don't give a shit like I think that anonymity for minors is because most minors are sought to be re- like they're easily reformed versus I guess adult I mean, prisoners um so I think like once they go to juvenile they seal their records because they want them to be able to do and well. I guess that makes sense up to a certain point it's like dependent on the crime that they commit because like if you are 16 17 18 years old and you're already like torturing raping and murdering people i don't think there's any hope for you (laughs) it's one thing to like accidentally kill somebody but that was not what that was not what this was not at all this was intentional they went out of their way to hurt this girl and she lost her life because of it so that's that's the case of Junko Furuta. Sorry like for bringing you. yeah, sorry for bringing your day down, guys. I hope you listen to this at the end of your day cuz hmm. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for making the rest of your week all for okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, when I started to research this, I messaged Brit and I was like, "Look, we're going to need like massive trigger warnings. Trigger this case warning. <laughs> this case was a lot more than I anticipated. I was not ready for this. It was it was a lot, you know." I'm gonna go. Like, hug my dog after this yeah it's like i i couldn't do anything after i planned to, to do some work and it's like nope that's not happening today like i, I just need to kind of yeah i just need to like sit here and watch some like stupid youtube videos to get over this so uh i where is bind re- when you need it <laughs> yeah go go scroll tiktok go hug your pets i don't know eat a cupcake we hope you join us next week <laughs> get some dopamine flowing and we hope to see you next week because next week's episode that's funny <laughs> it's it's a little bit more funny and we have a special guest who is in that one and by special guest i mean my sister no it's sailor jupiter okay it's sailor jupiter my sister amanda c miller will be joining us she's a no. voice actress she is sailor, sailor jupiter she is boruto <laughs> she is a couple of other voices that you probably recognize if you only are sailor jupiter. only sailor jupiter if you are invested in the anime or video game world I won't go all into it. You can Google it if you want to. But she will be joining us for that episode. It's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun recording it. <laughs> Chris was there when we were... <laughs> I felt so bad for him. He was just like, oh my god, what did, what did I get myself into? <laughs> we would just be like, hey, Brittany, I know you did not just say that. <laughs> <laughs> he he loves it, though. He, he, he does. It. He's a good supporter. Yeah. So we hope you come back. It is the Hee Haw Gang. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we are on social media. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are on YouTube. Just search up Shockingly Wicked Podcast and we should pop up. And then we are also on Facebook. as a Facebook group. It's a private group. Just hit join and you should be automatically accepted. If you have case suggestions, you can email us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. And I am actually in the process of making a website where you'll be able to easily contact us as well. And and we're in the process of designing our Patreon. Yes. So we are 
in the process. In the early stages. Very early stages. We probably won't release this until season two. At we, least first of the year. Yeah. We are trying to figure out how we're going to start promoting things like that, but we are going to be taking a break at the end of October. Our last episode will be on Halloween. I know it's a Sunday, but it's going to be a special episode you don't want to miss it. That'll be the end of season one. Give you a chance over the holidays to catch up on the episodes you've missed. Spend time with your family. Talk true crime. Do all that fun stuff. We will let you know. We will keep you updated about the progress on our Patreon, on our website. And I believe that is everything. So, and if you have any suggestions on things you would like to see, like bonus material or anything like you would like to have included for a Patreon, feel free to shoot us an email um, at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. or DM us on Instagram or Twitter or don't message me on Facebook because I'm not going to open it because I don't ever open my Facebook messages. <laughs> But you can put it in the Facebook group. We mm-hmm. want to keep you guys entertained, and we love doing this. So. Yes, and we also just want to make sure that you don't feel like you are not Wasting getting... Wasting time. Yeah, we want to make sure you don't feel like you are not getting what you paid for, essentially, especially when it comes to Patreon. Like, you're mm-hmm. supporting us. We want to make sure you get exclusive content that's only for you guys. We want it to feel like you're getting your money's worth. So just let us know what you think would be good to include in the various level of tiers. I think at most we're going to have three. We haven't decided yet. Like we said, early, early stages. So with your help, we'll figure this out together. So we will go ahead and head on out now. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry for ruining your week. We will see you next week or possibly three weeks from now. Bye. (laughs) Bye.